Welcome to the Ultradent Products Podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Frank Milnar. Dr. Milnar has a private practice in St. Paul, Minnesota, and has a background in many disciplines, dental science, preventative dentistry, and biology. He unifies this background with advanced education in the latest techniques in smile design, health rejuvenation, and comfortable care. Dr. Milnar today is going to talk to us a little bit about artistry in dentistry and minimally invasive care. It's a pleasure to do this. I believe in the future of dentistry so passionately. This year I've been a dentist for 30 years. Um, it gives me the privilege to look backwards and it also gives me the opportunity to think forwards about where our profession is going. In my career, I've always found the most progress and opportunities by looking back at the things that were most problematic in my career, the stumbling blocks per se, that prevented me from growing and, and producing more lifelike restorations. I always come back to the beginning with color and shade. It goes back to art, which is on the right side of the brain. The left brain is logical and rational. It's what our main drivers are in in dentistry, which is the science, the strong arm of predictability and durability. I found that my creativity was lacking, that it was never taught. Uh, I wasn't even sure if I had any creativity. But as I progressed in my career and, and started training with master ceramists and those people that were very color confident, I realized that that was the direction where I needed to grow and educate myself, even though it was a hard road at first. But at once the barriers were, were taken down, I became more color confident, uh, understanding the palette of nature, a few chroma value, how to mix colors, how to see nature in my work, the sky, the trains, the water, all inspiring things which could link me directly and emotionally to the materials that I use. I really find that all materials are good, that I can't really find bad materials in dentistry today, whether they're porcelain or composite. I always work for corporations that will allow me to reach and grow and to use my imagination. And when I use my imagination, The creative possibilities are endless in in scope, and that's where my best work comes from. It's inspiring to be in touch, not to do restorations, but to create them with sights and sounds and integration into the senses that becomes a virtual wonderland of possibilities. Now, that being said, that's fairly abstract in nature, philosophical versus logical, but I do find that A lot of men are not color confident. Uh, 13% of all men are colorblind. And I've been inclusive to incorporate my assistant, Sharon, with the possibility of seeing blues better with a younger female eye. Once you can understand where color comes from, whether it's in nature, a tooth, different locations, different anatomical sectors of cervical bodies and incisals, It becomes much more interesting and almost Picasso-like how to paint by numbers and make your work more polychromatic, more lifelike, and more interesting in nature. We do know that in certain sectors there's higher chromas, such as the cervical, that there's transitional sectors of the tooth, uh, of body, of different opacities. And then the most interesting and problematic area of the tooth is the incisal where the translucency comes from. Unfortunately for us as dentists, we're always looking for one shade and one opacity to fit the uh, circumstance, one size, one shade, fits all. And if we look at 
our profession in general that 74% of dentists are using one shade and opacity for all their work. This could be good, but it certainly doesn't meet the expectation of the, the discriminating patient today who is seeking a professional that can match the aesthetic and artistic nuances. They want somebody to communicate, as do the laboratory technicians and the ceramists. They need more essential information on colors, more shade taps, more photographs. The patients are expecting this, but they don't know exactly how, how to do it. But they are seeking dentists and coming from great distances to make sure that they can partner with somebody who will listen and become color confident. Now that being said, let's look at, say, Ultradense Vitalescence, or let's look at Amelogen Plus. Brothers and sisters that are connected umbilically, so to speak, in the world of, of, of the composite, one is more artistic, one is stronger, but they both have a presence in our clinics today. If you look at the Vitalescence and the vital colors of tinting, opaquing, uh, there's no reason why you can't do justice and actually bring your work next to a, a porcelain restoration and you should mirror each other. Our point here is that we can't destroy tooth structure to match tooth aesthetics. I passionately believe that we have drifted off course into destroying tooth structure for the name of tooth, tooth aesthetics. I most heartily believe we will be judged harshly by our communities, by our medias, and ultimately by our professions that we have done injustices uh, for the sake of money. The point here, the bottom line, is that once a basic principle of minimally invasive concepts of maximizing the enamel to bond, minimalizing the, the invasiveness into dentin tissues, creates more of an aesthetic launch into things that are not problematic. Once we violate dentin, uh, the game changes. We are closer to the pulp. And it's the question I ask all my colleagues and professionals at large, men and women of all stages of our careers, whether it's early on, newly graduates, um, proven veterans, those that are, are uh, towards the, the end of their career, is that we have to ask the question and tell the patients honestly when they come into our practice, it's not if our work will be replaced, it's when. Mm. And we always, always, always want to leave something for somebody to pick up versus the disheartening situation where we have no options for our patients anymore. And that is the classical version of radically reduced GV block principles of undercutting, destroying tooth structure for retention which ultimately leads to more aggressive procedures of crowns, of root canal therapy, of cervically fractured tooth, of screw-in posts that create stress, of roots that are fractured now require extractions, which early on in my career we did removable partial dentures, more full dentures at large on the populations that were victims of dentistry, with no minimally invasive concepts and force. And today we're seeing that disappear. By and large, it's kind of disappearing uh, for good reasons. Unfortunately, there are still pockets of dentistry will, which will lead us down that road of rapid destruction, on, especially if people with, on early in their careers, this is a total injustice of dentistry. This violates all principles today where we should understand that these human beings can live to be 90 years old or more. And we as dentists now today 
have to match our treatment plans to create them, not to fit our own treatment plans, to be creative, to understand that these people will live past us as their healthcare professionals into somebody else's hands. And what a great compliment for a younger dentist to say, I remember that doctor that did this work and he had a good reputation as being a conservative dentist. Now I can set the table for you in a restorative sense and match the newest technology in the next generation of materials that Dr. Milner or Dr. So-and-so didn't have that I have access to. Mm. What a great scenario and what a wonderful thing to look back at your career. At some point when you can't do this and you have to separate from your profession knowing that you left something behind for the good of the profession. Yeah, and repairability and composites is so important. It gives you so much flexibility, like you were saying, not to go back to those old principles of undercuts, but to create a restoration that is repairable and restorable throughout the life of the patient. Now, you talked about color selection. Can you offer some pointers for people who have trouble um, selecting color or layering uh, to get the aesthetics that they're searching for? In a kind of cookie cutter sense, I'll, I'll distill this down to make sense. There's five color, five different potential color spaces in a natural tooth. The body of the tooth, which is its center, gives us the basic hue of the tooth, whether it's a V to A1, a B1, a C, or a D. Those are our families of color commonly known as hue, which is the wavelength of, of light that's reflected off an object. That's where you spot color first, is in the center of the tooth. In the cervical portion, there's a lot more dentin influence and less enamel. So that's where the chroma comes from. So if the center of the tooth is an A1, the, the gingival portion or cervical portion is highly saturated in color, color could be an A2 or an A3. That's our first color uh, delineation that creates a polychromatic effect. The third possibility is in the incisal third, and that's where value comes into play. And that's where our translucent shades are valuable here, and that's why we can't really run our dentin shades into the incisal third. They just don't belong there. It creates a monochromatic block of porcelain and or composite that is reflects light, not like a natural tooth. The fourth and fifth color spaces are in the interdental spaces. This could be due to deep transitional line angles, could be to what's inherited to the neighboring tooth, whether it's a gold foil, whether it's an old restoration, whether it's composite and or porcelain, they reflect light into these spaces and produce shadows, light reflection, trapping and scattering of light that can be recorded as shade in these places. Now we have five different places to record color. I think that should be helpful for a lot of people. And you said that you use your assistant with the the young eyes and the female eyes to help you with blues. With blues, and think about this from an aeronautical standpoint. When we fly commercial airlines, there's always two people in the cockpit. One is the captain, one is the co-pilot. It doesn't make one more important than the other. It's a team. And the patients are very receptive. I'm the first one to be honest and understand my own limitations. Is If I try to grab too much and overreach my possibilities as a human being to perceive color, I've, I've cheated my patients. I've cheated nature. I've handcuffed myself. Uh, it's now a handicap match. The co-pilot is very important because the co-pilot can see things you can't. And my assistant Sharon, especially from a, a gender sensitive, is that women see things much differently than men. Uh, women see color better than men. But the beauty of it is, is that men see form 
better than women. Now, how's that for a marriage? Is that mm -hmm. you have the best of both worlds, one seeing form and shape better, one seeing color. You have strengths as allies versus pockets of weakness. And the patients always perceive this, this fussing of color and this communication is something as a unique experience that they by and large have not experienced in other offices. Once you can be confident in color communication, patients understand that you are grabbing and grasping into an area that they like and they know that they can communicate this to their laboratory technicians. And I may say that your laboratory technicians are pleased when this event takes place, this transformation where it's not technician-doctor anymore. These are two human beings, teamworks, trying to strive to create excellence, raising the bar, and the, the barrier of doctor-technician just automatically disappears. Mm -hmm. It could be Frank and Bob and, or Frank and Jenny, or it could be Jenny and Melanie. Uh, these are people looking for the best scenarios of all restorations and materials. And for sure, like you said, your patients will feel that when they see that you are taking the time to care about the shade of the restoration. They will feel your quality of care through that communication that they're just observing from the chair. As an accredited member of the American Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry, is that what we are looking for as examiners into people striving, we encourage the evolution of the work and the knowledge that one accumulates, and we're looking for the zone of excellence, not perfection, is that we as dentists, unfortunately, I think, have been indoctrinated into being perfect people, technologically, and it really handcuffs us to, uh, it prevents us from growing, that we're afraid to make mistakes, and afraid to place a chip on the roulette table of aesthetics that we may lose. And I can say as somebody who's probably made more mistakes than anybody else is that where I've learned the most is where I've made mistakes legitimately because it lets you grow and learn from these mistakes so you don't repeat them and you take that learning experience and you move it up the ladder and that, that's where the growth is. As, a, as an accredited member of the AACD, I found that it was such a great learning experience, exhausting, yes, but the learning experience, it creates wisdom. And where that wisdom for me is translated today into my creative sense, lets me survive on the periphery of the human experience and knowledge, not at the center and the core where there's predictability and safety there. Yes, that must be there, but on the periphery, it's expansive. It's unlimited. There are no boundaries. There are no rules. There's a sense of freedom there that I never uh, felt in 20 years of dentistry. I felt like I've just become a dentist within the last five to seven years of my, of my life. Well, and why don't you share with the audience, too, what Einstein said? I thought that was inspiring. Is that Einstein, who I admire and use a lot of his work in my, in my presentations, had the childlike mind. Didn't mean he was infantile or immature, but also had the, the sense, the profound sense to realize that there's more than the left side science that drives us in the statistics and the math and the physics. What he said is after a certain level of technology is achieved in one's life, that science and art do coalesce into plasticity, form, and art. He said, bottom line is that all good scientists must be good artists as well. 
Good. And I think that's a great note to leave on. So thank you very much for joining us for today's podcast. And we hope to have you back for another episode. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. For a full archive of our podcasts, please visit podcast.ultradent.com. To submit a question or comment for a future podcast, please send an email to ultradentnews at ultradent.com or leave us a voicemail at 800-268-9010.